going to talk about the joy in the journey of discipleship. Things I wish Jesus hadn't said. And these uh, include some things that maybe we find hard to understand. You ever read one of those scriptures or, or maybe we even find them hard to hear? Uh, for example, one of those hard sayings, I remember Jesus said on one occasion, he said, if, if you don't hate your father and mother and wife and children, you can't be my disciple. That's kind of a hard saying. Some of you are saying, well, I'm halfway there. No, you, you probably didn't understand what he meant. But uh, that's kind of a hard saying. And then there are some things that Jesus said that aren't hard to hear, and they're not hard to understand, but they're really hard to do. And the statement we're going to look at this morning is a statement that really is easy to understand, but I think if we're honest, when we read it, we just don't want to do it. In fact, the scripture I want to start with this morning really is probably one of the most ignored statements that Jesus ever spoke in the Bible. And what Jesus said was, do not store up treasures on earth. But let's be honest. Most of us read that and our response is, nope, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do what I want to do. But I want us to understand this morning that in what Jesus said this morning and what we're going to read in the weeks to come, these are not suggestions. These are commands. They're instructions. And what that means is that there are huge consequences in our lives and in the life to come if we don't do it, if we ignore it. And there are huge blessings if we take Jesus at his word and obey. And so we're going to open up in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And I'm going to ask you to read this, uh, these two verses with me, if you can see them. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20. Let's read this together. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You see, you and I as human beings, we are going to store things either way. Jesus is saying that we will either collect things for this life only or we will gather things for the life to come. But here's the goal this morning. Here is the big thought that I want us to retain. Heaven and not earth is our goal. Heaven and not earth is our goal. How many here this morning honestly believe that there is eternal life after this life, and in this life, we're just passing through? No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Like I'm, I know I joke sometimes. As Vanessa often says to people, you can't take Paul seriously unless you're behind the pulpit, okay? So I'm behind the pulpit, and I mean what I'm saying. How many honestly believe that we're just passing through this life, we're not living just for this life, but there's a life to come? Amen. Okay, then does it make any sense to store up things where you're not staying? It doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. And yet, there's something inside all of us that wants to store things. We want to have things. We need more things. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but Jesus said, make sure those things are stored in the right place. Don't store things where you're not going to stay. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I noticed this a couple of weeks ago driving along the highway, but I wonder if you've noticed how many storage facilities seem to be cropping up. Have you noticed that? It could be here in the city, it could be driving along the highway. I read an article by the Canadian Self-Storage Association. Shows you how much time I have in my hands. 
I didn't even know there was a Canadian Storage Association, but they said this. They said there are over 65 million square feet of storage space in Canada. If you take all those feet and lay them out side by side, you will go around the world four times. That's how much storage space there is in our country. The industry last year made about $8 billion. Listen to what the author of this report said. Her last name, by the way, happened to be Pig. Her name was Susan Pig. Didn't want to make fun of her, but I thought, interesting correlation. She said this, more folks find themselves space-challenged and yet unable to part with even the tarnished trophies of their lives. This is a secular view. Isn't that interesting? They find they've got no space left, but they still can't get rid of all their stuff. In the United States, it's even worse. It's reported the number of self-storage buildings. Now, this isn't units. This is buildings within units, which have units, you know, hundreds or thousands of units, whatever. There are more self-storage facilities in the United States than there are combined McDonald's, Subways, and Starbucks. Can you imagine? Now, I know what you're thinking this morning. You're thinking you're off the hook because you don't have a self-storage unit. It's not that easy. Jesus said, do not store up treasures. And the word treasure in the Greek language literally means money and everything to do with money. So none of us are exempt. And this is a hard saying because for a lot of us, there's a lot of storing going on. But you need to be careful of where you're storing if you're storing in the right place. Now, maybe you've read this verse over the years and you've asked yourself, well, if Jesus says that, then is it, what do I have to do? Do I have to take a vow of poverty? I mean, can I never, you know, own a home? Can I never have a new iPhone? Can I never go on vacation in the summer? One of the things you have to do when you read Jesus' heart saying, this is not to get off the hook, but you've got to kind of step back a little bit and you've got to say, what is Jesus saying in light of the whole Scripture? Jesus isn't suggesting that poverty equates spirituality. No more than he is saying that wealth is equal to some kind of sinfulness or carnality. In fact, what you discover time and time again when you read the Old Testament, for example, what the prophets of God spoke against was the pride of wealth. They spoke against the false security that people look for and try to find in wealth or in acquisition. But God is not against wealth. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Now, understand, the Bible is not saying, if you're poor, you're lazy. That's not what he's saying. The first few verse, words he says, lazy people are soon poor. What he's saying is this, not that you're lazy if you're poor. Yeah, that's right. But if you're lazy, I just didn't want to get emails tomorrow. It's my first week back. But if you are lazy, you're probably going to end up poor or you're going to marry somebody rich. You're going to end up poor. Why? Because wealth actually takes some work. It takes hard work and discipline. In the Bible times, for example, most of us know that prosperity was often looked at as part of God's blessing. Now, we're not all going to be wealthy, and not everybody was wealthy like Job or Abraham or, or King Solomon at the point. But in, in the Scriptures, people understood that life works best a certain way. And God has shown us principles to make life work. And if you will trust God 
and live life as he says, he will meet your needs. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be uh, financially wealthy or prosperous, but he makes life work. He will make your life work religiously as far as your faith. He'll make your life work relationally, financially, and so on. The blessing of God simply follows obedience. Now, never in the Bible do we hear the phrase that money is evil. We know that money is neutral. But it is our attitude toward money that can be good or can be evil. Paul warned Timothy, he said this, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Makes sense, right? A lot of harm done because of the love and the desire to acquire more. And some people, he's talking to Christians here, craving money have wandered from the true faith. In other words, they may still be in the churches, they may still confess a faith, but as he goes on to say in another scripture, they have a form of godliness, but they don't have any power to make them godly. And so he says, they wander away from true faith, what, what faith really is about, what following Christ is really about, and they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. In other words, the obsession with money and the things it can buy have left many people heartbroken. And then he says this in Ephesians chapter 4, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Think about that for a minute. Paul is saying you've got to work hard. In fact, he says elsewhere, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Work hard. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the only reason God has blessed you with income. It's not the only reason God has blessed you with health to make an income. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. And on top of that, look for ways to be a blessing to others with what God has given you and what God has entrusted you with, to demonstrate God's heart to others by the way that you help them. Use what you have to leverage for the kingdom of God. And so he says, money is not the issue. Here's the issue. He says, the issue is how you spend your money. The issue is how you store it, and you store the things that you get with it. I think what Jesus is saying is this. It should be obvious by the way you handle your money, that the kingdom of God is your priority. That Jesus is your priority. That his work, his purposes, that people are your priority. It should be obvious by the way you handle your money that you're not storing things where you're not staying. You see, we live in a materialistic culture. We know that. And most of us are more materialistic than we care to admit or maybe even would think we are. But materialistic, the word simply means to be money-oriented. It means to be grasping. And it doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy on the books by what you bring in each year. It's your combined wealth. It's your credit card limits. It's your overdraft limit. Whatever the case may be, just all the access you have to wealth or to buying power, to getting things whether you need them or not. You see, materialism says, get more, 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 more. And then when you get it, store, store, store. I have no problem with the yard sale. I've said this before. You know, we have a yard sale for missions. But as believers, I, I kind of have a problem with Christian yard sales for us. Now, what I mean by that is store your stuff. We're bringing it to the church. We're having a yard sale to raise money for other needs, for, for, to bless others. That's wonderful. But there ought to be something in the Christian heart that says, you know what? 
if I don't need this, there's probably somebody else who does. If I've got two of something, there's probably somebody I can give one to. Doesn't that make more sense than kind of getting all my junk and saying, what sucker out there is going to buy all this junk? Uh, and again, have your guards, I'm not against it, but the principle behind it, I think there's more to it. We have an expression, we've heard this many times, about keeping up with the Joneses. You see, one of the problems with keeping up with the Joneses is when you finally catch up to them, they either refinance and buy more, or you catch up to them and realize you can't sustain it and maybe you go bankrupt. So it's not something that we really want to get involved in. In fact, it's funny how we can be thankful for a little time for what we have and realize how much we have until we walk into a new store, until we walk onto that new car, car lot, you know, and all of a sudden, I don't have very much, or I need that, or I would really like that. Well, Jesus gives us three ways to make sure that we're not storing our riches and our resources in the wrong place. Let me give them to you this morning from this passage. Number one, he says, you need to have a generous heart. That's the first way that you're going to combat this pull on you to materialism that actually leaves you quite empty and certainly far from, from the purpose of God. You need to have a generous heart because where you store things really is a heart issue. It's never a money issue. It's never you know, any other kind of issue than your heart because Jesus isn't after your money. You're kind of going, Whew. he's after your heart. He wants your heart. But he knows that if you have a selfish heart, you're going to do a lot of selfish things with what he's given to you. He knows if you have a fearful heart, you're going to do a lot of impulsive things that you're going to regret. He knows if you have an insecure heart. You see, a lot of purchasing, friends, if I can be honest, and not, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be a psychiatrist here, but let's be honest, a lot of our purchasing and acquisition of things is not necessarily things that we need, but it's how those things make us feel. How they fill emptiness, how they fill a sense of inadequacy, a sense of, you know, I was raised in a small town, or I was raised in, in poverty, or whatever, and I need these things. I know one lady in her family, I won't say the name, but was raised that kind of way. She said she gave away 45 items in her closet that still had the tags on them. Why do you need all those things? Because deep down, I need to feel affirmed. I need to feel I'm important. I need to feel I'm not poor anymore. I need to feel I matter. I need other people around me to feel like I matter, that I'm important, that I'm significant. There's so many subtle reasons that we get tripped up in this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, if that's the kind of heart you have, it's going to be reflected in how you handle what he's entrusted to you. In verse 21, the Lord says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You see, he says what you do with your finances actually reveals where your heart is and what's important to you. And we live in a self-indulgent culture that Jesus says is driven by spiritual powers. You see, when the Bible talks about the world or the spirit of the world, it is talking about a system of operation in our culture that is headed by Satan and leaves God out of the picture. That's what the world means. And when he's talking here about this, this and he talks about it in verse 24, he says there is actually a demonic spirit whose name is Mammon. 
And the spirit of mammon has a very deliberate strategy in your life and in your culture and trying to draw you into that same culture who is trying to seduce you with a message that says, get it. Get it. In fact, we live in a culture today that will show you every way to Sunday how you can get it, even if you don't have it. You don't need good credit anymore. You don't need to spend $3 a month anymore because now it's only $75 a week. You can get it. You can have it. You can have more. You can have bigger, better, newer. Just get it, get it, get it, and store it. And the mission of mammon, Jesus says, is to bring you into financial bondage. To strap your hands for the work of the kingdom. And ultimately, if it can, to bring heartache and stress into your life. Now, I know the majority of us here this morning are probably sitting here thinking that this message is for somebody else. Because you don't have any wealth. Do you? You know, it's all tied up in things. According to an article I read last week in MSN Money, they said this. If you made $1,500 last year, $1,500, anybody? I won't pry too much, but most of us can admit, okay, and all you poor people who can't raise your hand, or you're, I've lost you in the message, or sorry, Stephen. Chandler's getting there. He's going to be running the Jean-Coup too pretty soon. He's, if you made $1,500 last year, you were in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you have sufficient food, clothing, a roof over your head, and a reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. Gets better. If you earn $25,000 or more, you are in the top 10% of the wealthiest in the world. If you or your household earns more than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. Now you might say, well, I can't be that wealthy. Even if I make $50,000 or $25,000, because I don't have a whole lot to show, show for it. And herein lies the problem. You see, in our society, in our culture, the spirit of our culture that says, you need, you need, you deserve, you deserve, you can have, you can have, whatever the case may be, regardless of the purpose for which God has blessed you, we find ourselves purchasing things that we don't need, going places we don't need to go, buying stuff we don't need to have, and the money gets all tied up. And so you look around the world, and the average person around the world, what are they trying to do each day? They're trying to have shelter for their children, their family, some clothes on their back, some food in their stomach, and if they need it, some mode of transportation. But think of all the fillers in our culture. The toys you have to have, where you have to eat out, the movies you have to go see, the entertainment you're intoxicated with, over and over, pleasure, memberships, whatever the case may be, thousands of dollars just consumed on stuff we don't even need. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. What happens is we begin to buy into what is called, and we all are aware of this, a spirit of entitlement. That's the danger. 
It's not that the Lord says you can't enjoy some things, but if I've entrusted these things, this wealth to you, what am I asking you to do with it first and then enjoy? But you see, we have an entitlement culture or spirit that says, I should be able to have or do this, 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 this. And we may do that without even consulting the Lord on how we use His resources. And so we have all this wealth, according to statistics, we have more wealth at our disposal than anyone on the planet. And yet we have the greatest rate of depression, the greatest rate of discontentment, and the greatest sense of lack. In the midst of all the things we have, we have a society, and Christians included, who think this way, if I just had a little more, I'd be happy. Research tells us that generous people experience a higher quality of life and are generally happier and healthier. So we have to have a generous heart. And I'm wondering if Jesus is talking to us about this kind of stuff, is he's trying to tell us that when you make heaven your goal and you don't stockpile your wealth for a place that you're not staying, that you will actually have great wealth waiting for you if you truly believe there's a life to come, and you will also begin to experience great riches in this life that money cannot buy. Because true wealth comes from a generous heart. Now, let's be honest. This can be a hard thing to hear, a hard thing to do. Anybody agree with that? You're all kind of stunned. <laughs> I guess we're not going to Swiss Chalet for lunch. It's okay. The Baptist will thank you. You just take up too much room in there. But this can be a hard thing to do, especially when everybody else around us are buying all the toys. But remember, as John Ortberg said many years ago, when the game is over, all the toys go back in the box. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's why Jesus goes on to say the second thing. Not only have a generous heart, but he says, live a focused life. And the reason you need to live a focused life is because if heaven is your goal, it is going to be a struggle at times to live that way in this world because of the way that we're bombarded. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus said, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, you see, he's talking about the fact if you actually think you have true faith, but you don't by the way that you're living, there's darkness in your heart. And how great that darkness is. Now, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is kind of taking a rabbit trail here. He's talking about money, and all of a sudden he gets into this eye and light and darkness, I mean, and then he kind of gets back on track. What is Jesus saying? Is this at all related, to, you know, unrelated? No, it's absolutely related. Because what Jesus is saying is this, once you get your heart and your treasure lined up, then he says the important thing then is your focus. Why? Because Jesus knows something. You always end up where you're looking. I've used this illustration a couple of years ago. Any of us who drove a drive a motorcycle, it's a key principle you've got to learn. You will end up where you are looking. You are always, that's, that's why motorcycles and cars do this too, but motorcycles, they will just bang into the back of a parked car because rather than keeping their eye on the road, they're obsessed with this car. I want to make sure I don't hit it. Make sure I don't hit it. Make sure I don't hit it. Bang. You always end up where you are looking, where your focus is. And Jesus says that if your eyes and your desires are set on something, everything else is going to follow. 
You ever experienced that? When you have your mind set on something, what happens? All your attention, all your energy, all your resources, they move in that direction until you get what your eyes are fixed on. Anyone who has kids, you understand that principle. And Jesus says if your eyes are set on the wrong thing, your whole being will become unhealthy and filled with darkness. Jesus says when it comes to treasures, when your eyes are on the wrong treasures, you begin to pursue those things. But what happens? Because they're not of God, darkness begins to creep in. And with that darkness comes stress and comes emptiness and comes brokenness. Let's be honest enough because I can raise my hand too. How many people have ever committed yourself to a financial obligation and afterward you kick yourself? Right? And if not, your lovely spouse was there to remind you. You should be kicking yourself. What is Jesus saying? Your eyes, your focus is on the wrong thing. You let your guard down. You listen to the lie of the spirit of this age that says you've got to have it, got to have it. You can do it. You can afford it. It's you. It's new. It's wonderful. Yes, have it. It's a great toy. In a short while in, you realize now I'm financially strapped to this thing. I learned a wonderful secret years ago. You want a new car? Buy a can of new car spray. Two seventy-five. I got nothing against new cars, but if you want the smell, you can buy it in a can. But that's out there. And he says this: if your eye is healthy, here's the key: if your focus is on the right things and the right priorities, your whole life begins to be filled with light. It illuminates every situation. It illuminates every decision, and your life remains filled with freedom. The sales pitches don't fool you, and you enjoy the happiness and the freedom and the opportunity to minister without all the things that people say you have to have. The Lord just wants to keep us free. He wants us to understand that just as there's a Holy Spirit who will keep you and guide you in all truth and freedom, There are demonic spirits, one namely called mammon, whose purpose it is to rob from you, to steal from you, to stress you out, and to make you ineffective in the purposes of God and in eternal things. He says, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. There's a direct correlation between what you do with your finances and your spiritual health, your health rather. And Jesus says, if you don't listen to me, Things are not going to go well for you. You have to focus your life. Because if you don't focus your life, you may have a lot of things in life, but you'll have a wasted life. You will have lived a wasted life. Luke 12, Jesus said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, your life, your value, your significance is not measured by how much stuff you stockpile. Make heaven your goal. Make the kingdom of God and his work your goal. And then after Jesus made this statement, he told the story about a man who spent a lot of time storing up possessions on earth because his focus was on himself. But I want you to notice as we read this passage, how many times this man uses the word I and my. He says this in verse 16. Jesus then told them a story. A rich man had a fertile firm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Are you hearing this? What should I do with my income tax return? 
What should I do with my paycheck? What should I do with my money? That wasn't my notes. I apologize. That was just the flesh. I don't have room for all my crops. I need to empty the closet, make room for more. Sorry, Susan. Then he said, and there's more than one Susan. I'm just teasing. They like shopping. Then he said, and I do too. I digress. He said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. You will die this very night. No, God wasn't saying because you're rich, you're going to kill you. That's not what's happening here. He's just saying, I know something you don't know. It just so happens you're going to be dying tonight. And you're making all these plans. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, Jesus said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And that's the key. It's not about whether or not you have stuff. It certainly is about the wisdom that you use in acquiring and listening to the Lord as far as how you manage your money, but it's whether or not you have a rich relationship with God, whether or not you have in your life the presence of God that is able to do things that money can't do. What a tragic story. But this is a story that our society would call success. Jesus warns that if you don't live a focused life, you will find yourself where this man found himself. And hear me, friends, Jesus will say to you what he said to this man. You fool. Everything you stored up is now going to belong to somebody else. You spent your whole life climbing the ladder, as John Maxwell says, only to discover at the end of the day that your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. I think this picture, the next picture, really sums up everything Jesus said. Now, why does this picture make you laugh? Because it's so ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He's showing us that picture and saying, listen, I've come from heaven. I know what's there. I know what life is really all about. God's going to take care of all your needs. If he can take care of the little birds. We're looking at our back porch the other day. We've got bird feeders and little, little things going on. We had a couple sparrows in one bird feeder. We had three or four finches in another bird feeder. We had two little chipmunks sitting down. That we had, had a dove up there on the back pooping everywhere. They're wonderful birds, but they're a mess. But all these animals, they're, they're not concerned about all the stuff that we concern ourselves with. And Jesus says, and yet, I take care of them. How much more will I take care of you? Seek first the kingdom. Don't listen to the spirit of mammon. Use what I've entrusted to you as I will lead you, and you will find great satisfaction, great joy, great wealth. I'll take care of your needs. Don't get bound and bogged down by the spirit of this culture that wants to strap you and harness you and eliminate you from being used for kingdom purposes. You know, we took the youth team to Cuba there a couple of months ago. We told them two things. Number one, we said, don't buy too much Cuban currency when you're down there because when you get back here to Canada, you can't use it. It's useless. Can't convert it back to the banks. It's, it's just a piece of paper. 
And the second thing we said was, we're only going for a week. So you've got to travel light. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Listen, Christians, you're not here a long time. So travel light. And the currency that you use here on earth, you can't use in heaven. You don't get to heaven and God takes the U-Haul and says, okay, what's the exchange rate on all this? You know that joke, don't you? The wealthy man that died, and before he died, all of his wealth converted into gold, and the gold was put into the casket. Remember that story? And they get to heaven, and when they get there, you know, Peter's at the gate, all that kind of stuff, and he rolls up with this big, big, you know, truck full of gold. And Peter looks at him and says, why'd you bring asphalt? That's all gold is in heaven. It's just dirt. What good is that here? It doesn't translate. But let me tell you this. If you will invest, as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, his priorities. Be, live open-handedly channels through which God can pour through you. Spend as the Lord allows. Acquire as the Lord allows and blesses. Don't buy into the spirit of this age. If you will be rich in God, though earth's currency cannot translate into heaven, heaven's currency translates on this earth. And the currency of heaven is the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, for those who know Jesus, who have a rich relationship with Jesus, can meet so many needs that money cannot buy, that money cannot help with, but can be remedied in the power of His name for those who minister in faith and who know the Lord. So he says, live a focused life. And finally, he says, don't be enslaved to money. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to, to, to money. That's where he uses the word mammon in other translations. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Listen to that. He didn't say you won't go to heaven, but you won't serve God. You won't be used of God. You, you won't even be thinking about the kingdom. In fact, most times when you go to pray, and, and don't bother raising your hands, but how many of us are guilty of this? When we fall on our knees and pray and decide to pray, we're not praying for people. We're not praying for things God is concerned about. We're praying that God will meet my needs. That God will get me out of this thing. That God will help with my finances. That God, whatever. So oftentimes, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I know, I know. There's some of you out there who think you're the exception to the rule. You think, I've got a good balance here. You know, I, I love what wealth can give me, and I love the Lord, but Jesus disagrees. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. No one. And you know what? I looked up that phrase. In the original Greek, no one literally means no one. Isn't it amazing? I have a Bible program. It actually means what it says. You can't serve both masters. You cannot spend the week serving yourself and serving money and then come to church, give what little you feel like giving, and say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if money or making more money or having more things that money can get, if that's more of a preoccupation for you than a rich relationship with God, he says, then money is your master, and Jesus is not. And that's really the issue here. It's your salvation. It's being used in the kingdom of God. Well, let's finish with this. Where do I start? If I want to change it, if I'm here this morning and say, yeah, pastor, that's where my heart is, that's where my pursuits are, how do I change that? Where do I start? Three things real quick. Number one, give Jesus your heart. You see, Jesus is generous. And until you allow him to be generous to you, you're not going to be generous. So the first question is not, are you giving money to the Glad Tidings Church? That's not the issue. The first question is, are you going to open your heart to Jesus? 
You see, when you truly experience the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, his generosity for yourself, you instinctively become a generous person. Have you ever noticed, and you got to read, this is going back a long, long time ago, but when you first fell in love with your spouse, can you remember how just the world looked different? When you really met this person that you were in love with, they preoccupied every thought. I mean, you were nice to people you usually weren't nice to. You had patience. You had a whole purpose for living. Remember those good old days? Just teasing. But it's true, isn't it? It's new. It's novel. The Lord is saying the same thing for us. When you truly experience Jesus for yourself, when your heart's been flooded with his love, your natural response is to be a forgiving person and to be a giving person. When you truly understand the grace of God in your life, you will be gracious and not critical of others. In fact, let me tell you this. If you are critical of other people, however justified you may think you are, it's an indication that the Spirit of God is not ruling your heart. And you've got to say, excuse me, I just need to soak in the Lord's presence for a while because I'm just really big on myself. And I can see all the faults in this person, but I've I got a lot of me, and I'm blinded to, so forgive me, Lord. Would you wash over me again? Just remind me of your grace so I can be gracious to others and help them to grow rather than put them down. That's where it all begins. And if you're already a Christian, but self-interest and materialism are crept back into your life, I want to encourage you to have a fresh encounter with the Lord. So give your heart to Jesus. Number two, give to God first. When you get paid, give a percentage back to God first. Now, Jesus affirmed that in the New Testament. He said that we are to give a tithe or 10% to God. But that's not the main point of my teaching this morning. The main point to giving to God first is this. When you give to God first, this is what you're saying. Jesus, you have my heart. That's what it's all about. Money doesn't have my heart. Mammon doesn't have my heart. You have my heart. You know what also happens when you give to God first, as the Lord tells us to do? You give God freedom and permission to actually provide for you in ways that money can't. You see, when I'm disobedient with my money and I consume it upon myself, my disobedience says, God, I don't want you in my financial affairs. And God says, that's too bad because I could do things you can't do, but I'll pull back. But when I acknowledge him and give to him, what I'm saying, I'm saying, Lord, I gladly give 10% and more to you, to, the work of, to your work. The Lord says, my hands are freed now, and I can do more with that 90% than you could ever do with 120%. And the Lord does that. Vanessa and I will be married 30 years in September. No. I know what you're thinking. She's a saint. She's a saint. That's it. But you know what? Since the first day we were married, even before a single people, from the first day we were married, we always gave 10% at least of our income, gross income, to God every single week, every single week. And that's been 30 years. And you know what? After giving to God first for 30 years, we still don't have two new cars. I'm driving a 2009. After 30 years of giving to God first, we still don't have a cottage on the lake. That's not a bad thing. None of these things are bad. We just don't have it. We don't have a lot of things that, you know, society says you deserve, you should have at this stage in your life. We just don't have those things. But let me tell you what we do have. We do have things that money can't buy. I'll tell you what we have. We have peace in our home. We have love in our home. We don't have any stress in our home. We've got so many things that you can't get at the mall. So many things you can't find on Amazon. If you've already given 
Jesus your heart, and you've already put God first, and this is the final step, and I'm done. You need to leverage your treasures for eternal impact. Ask yourself how you can use all that you have to advance the work of God in people's lives for eternity. For example, if you have a house, God has a purpose for your house. It may be that he wants you to open your home to folks in the neighborhood. He may want you to host a house church. He may want you to reach out to your neighbors somehow. He has you strategically placed there. In fact, we had this conversation, yes, was it Susan? We had this conversation the other day. Who moved? Somebody moved? Oh, yeah, right. Okay, I won't say who the couple is, but, but they have a, a new family who moved next door from Israel. As we were talking about that the other night at the house, you know, it's very clear. There's a reason God brought them next to these couple from Glad Tidings Church from Israel who don't know the Lord. Could it be? If you have a house, you can use it for the kingdom. How many here this morning have ever been to the Dussault's pool? Raise your hands. Come on, young people, give it up. Don't be shy. And we've got people away. We've got young, I mean, that's like, you know, 40 people over here. And that's with others being on vacation. James and Debbie Dussault, they just have this, they're like hospitable on steroids. And, and they'll be the first to tell you, there's lots of stuff they don't have. And they've had seasons in their life where they've gone through some hard times. But when they bought that house, it happened to have a pool. And every single day in the summer, people are in that pool. That would drive me nuts. I don't even know if they ask anymore. I think they just go. They got a key to the house or they jump the fence. They just, if it's a warm day, the Dussault's pool is full. Why? Because they understand that however little or much they have, they can use it to leverage for the kingdom of God and they can touch people's lives. You're all invited. Everybody knows that Dussault's have a pool on a warm day. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have a car, let me ask you this morning, is that car just for you? It really bothers me. I don't mean in a judgmental way, but it really bothers me when, you know, somebody needs a ride to church and it's hard to find somebody who lives nearby, not just to give them a ride, but to commit. <laughs> I don't want to commit to driving to church every Sunday. Excuse me? <laughs> You got a car. You're walking. You're breathing. You're alive. You got so much. Somebody needs a ride to church. Somebody needs a meal delivered. Maybe the Lord gives us those things for those purposes. You all remember the Capital One commercial? It asked the question What's in your wallet? I think it's what Jesus asked us this morning. What has God placed into your hands to invest or to steward? And friends, when you start thinking that way, you'll be amazed by the ministry opportunities that arise. You'll experience firsthand the joy of generosity in this life. And Jesus says, in the life to come, you'll experience an abundant entrance. When you really begin to understand why you have what you have. There are many stories of life changes here at Glad Tidings, friends. It's because this is a church full of people who say we are not going to store up our treasures on earth. We're going to invest. We're going to focus on what will last forever. And the only thing that's going to last forever is God and people. So the question becomes, how can we leverage everything we have to touch and to change people's lives forever? That's what it's all about. I'm going to ask the musicians to return. I want to read this one last scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says this, teach those who are rich in this world. Who's that? It's us. We are the 1%. You didn't realize down in the States all those protests, they actually hate you. I'm the 
Teach those who are rich in this world, listen, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, a rich relationship, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to serve with others. And why should we give ourselves to this? Verse 19. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You know, the wonderful thing about the Lord is He not only gives us freely and richly things for our enjoyment, He actually gives us Himself. Isn't that what the Scripture says? Abraham said, Lord, You are my shield, my protector. You are my exceedingly great reward. Thank you for the things, but I also get you. And I want to encourage us this morning to begin to live as people who actually believe that. Amen? Who actually believe that we're going somewhere beyond this life. And one of the ways we show that is that we don't have a whole lot stored up here. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. And there's such a level of fulfillment and joy in that. Isn't that just the counter of our world spirit? If you listen to the world spirit, eventually you'll be stressed and bound and regretful and all that goes with that in, in bondage. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, He says, I'll meet your need. I'll take away the appetite of things that you don't. And I got to tell you this. I, I really am done. But I got to tell you this. I went to the mechanic uh, just before we left, get the car kind of you know, looked at, make sure it was okay. Like I said, we drive a 2009 uh, Acura. Lovely, lovely car. Bought a few years ago. And they said, you need whatever it was. I forget what it was called. Some kind of clamp. I had to go to the Acura dealer to, and they're a great dealership, by the way, but I had to go to the Acura dealer. I haven't been there since I bought the car. <laughs> Thankfully, the person who owned it before me serviced it there, but I don't live in those financial circles. So I had these two little parts. They're $9 each. So I walk into the dealership, and I pick up these two little parts that are $9 each, and it costs about $100 to get put on in town. And I'm informed that for only $75 a week, I could leave with a new car. Not new, new, but, you know, newer. So I say to the guy, okay, let me think. Think this through. There's nothing wrong with my car. I got these two little $9 pieces to put on my car, and it's as good as new. I have no car payment. I don't think I need to change it. Now, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing wrong with it if you want to do that. But do you hear what I'm saying? You'll get the same thing walking into any store or whatever because that's the world's spirit. I know what you have, but look what you don't have. Look what you need. And I can say, yeah, but what I don't have is I don't have the debt. I don't have the debt. What, what I don't have is bondage. I'm, I'm free. I can, I can use this to bless someone. I can use this for some other need. I whatever, for a rainy day. You see, that it's so subtle. And don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we all need things. We buy things. We go play. Let's, let's not quote that. But it's just in the midst of all we have, there's a spirit that says, yeah, but this is what you don't have. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is what you do have. Not just the stuff. You've got me. You've got light. You've got truth. You can, you can be free and stay free and live in freedom. Just don't store up your treasures here. You're not staying that long. You're not staying that long. 
send it on ahead. Invest it in lives that will change forever. That's where I want you to invest. That's where I want you to start. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the ministry team to come.